Good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we are the first panel over here uh, for this morning, and uh, we hope you're all uh, still fresh. Um, first of all, also from our side, we want to thank you all for uh, joining, and of course, uh, also thanks to, uh, to the various sponsors uh, that made this uh, event uh, possible. Um, we're going to have a little bit of a discussion on uh, change of uh, shipping industry and the um, problems that we are going to face um, on the energy and also, of course, on the shipping side. Today, um, <clears throat> the panel talks, will, uh, we will present and we'll learn more about the future of the shipping industry and its transition. And I would like to... Uh, introduce our, uh, our panel, uh, Mr. Johan Klinger, managing uh, partner from Bus, Bus Group. And we have uh, Mr. Brian Bartlett, SVP uh, Finance Business Development Fund from uh, Enogross, uh, if I'm correct, uh, Energy or Infrastructure. Infrastructure. Then Mr. Daniel Mutmann, from his VP Business Development from Herc LNG Holding Limited. And Mr. Robert Burke, partner and CEO of Ridge, uh, Ridgebury Tankers. I would say, um, first of all, my name is, as we've seen, Jacobus Verossio. I'm a business development manager at, uh, at RINA um, since almost now three years, coming from fully from the shipping industry. And um, yeah, I'm happy to present this panel for you to you. I would like to say, Mr. De uh, Klinger, please have a short introduction on yourself uh, so our audience know more about you and your company, maybe. Yeah, I think you basically said everything. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, Boss is not a typical shipping company, it's a more a uh, Hamburg-based company <clears throat> um, operating in and, uh, port, logistics and shipping. And shipping, we are partners in Leonard and Bloomberg since six years, so that brings us um, in, in, uh, deep into this world, doing containers and, and recently tankers. Um, apart from that, Bus has used to be a traditional stevedoring company. <clears throat> Today, we are very f quite focused on, on renewable energy and the energy transition. Since 12 years, we operate um, port in northern Holland in Emshaven, one of the main, major ports for the offshore wind industry in the in the North Sea. Um, and our recent project, which probably also brings me to this panel, is that we are uh, that we develop a land-based LNG terminal in, in the close to Hamburg and Stade. Just received our we started the project before the Ukraine war, which was a bit challenging uh, back then, and got some back backwind uh, since, as you can imagine. And we now received just a week ago we received our uh, permit uh, to, to construct the. LNG terminal. However, this is only be finished in, in 27, 27. Um, also, we get a FSIU to Stade. FSIU is a topic, I think, on the panel today. And this will arrive um, end of this year. So everything on time. So quite a, um, a spread over the industry. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> Mr. Jorn Klinger. Uh, Brian Barlett, uh, please. Uh, uh, short introduction. Hello everyone, um, Brian Bartlett, SVP from Energos Infrastructure. Um, Energos is a, is a new uh, player, I guess, in the market, you'd say. We were born last August in 2022 with the purchase of the former Golar LNG fleet. Um, our company is backed by a private equity firm out of New York, Apollo Global Management, 
and we have a minority investment from an American energy company, New Forest, New Fortress Energy. Um, so we own 11 assets, seven FSRUs, two FSUs, and two carriers, um, primarily in Central and South America, although we have one asset in, in Southeast Asia, in Jakarta, and we actually have an asset not far from here, an FSRU in Eameshaven, um, which is, you know, regasifying significant volumes of, uh, of gas. <laughs> yes. So, um, as I mentioned, we're, we're relatively new, although in the last year we've, we've built a very strong team with um, seasoned and, and experienced executives, and um, you know, we're, we're active in the market, looking at all tenders on the market now and looking at growth across every opportunity. So, excited to be here. Thank you very much, uh, <coughs> Brian. Um, I would like to now give the word to uh, Mr. Daniel Mutman from uh, Herc LNG Holdings, please. Yes, good morning everyone. It seems we are very good represented on the LNG side here. Um, so I'm business development manager or vice president of business development for Hook LNG. Hook uh, LNG, you might know, is, has been around for quite some time. We just had the 50th anniversary of taking our first LNG carrier. Um, but over the time, about 10 years ago, the company shifted more and more towards the terminal side of things. So today our portfolio consists of 10 FSIUs globally. Uh, and with all the recent events that we have seen over the past two years, it happened to be that five of those vessels are actually now in Europe, three of those are in Germany. So um, naturally, energy security and what, how to take these and develop this forward is a topic for us, but equally so, as was mentioned in the start, uh, it is already on the horizon. What can you do with these assets going forward? For those of you interested, I can point you to a Handelsblatt article that came out this morning, uh, where we are basically uh, um, offering to the market a possibility to actually convert uh, a repurpose an FSIU to also use it for ammonia imports. Uh, I guess those kinds of things go hand in hand with what was said earlier. In the world market, generally, I think there is a lot of, we, we need to go green. There's like thousands of projects, but there's very few FIDs. Uh, and I guess the challenges, which is basically very often just the commerciality and the possibility to, to basically make it viable and bankable is what we're all working with. And there it needs partnering along the value chain. And this is a very big projects and, and, and topics that we're dealing with right now. By the way, personally, I'm not from the shipping industry. I have 25 years of background in energy and LNG and gas. And I just joined HERC in May, which also maybe shows you uh, that we're developing in a, from coming from the maritime side more into considering, okay, how, it does you, how do you link it with the infrastructure onshore and what does actually the market need beyond the port? Exactly. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much, uh, uh, Mr. Daniel. Uh, Mr. Robert Burg from uh, Rich uh, Tankers, please. Thank you. Uh, my name is Bob <coughs> Burke, and I'm CEO of Ridgebury Tankers. Uh, this time last year, we owned 28 ships, and I'm pleased to announce that we've achieved uh, net zero, absolutely absolute zero. We've, uh, we've sold all our assets one at a time. Uh, we were <laughs> still working on scope three, but it's a long walk to my office, and I think we're going to have to work with, with that. Uh, we are a private equity sponsored group. We have um, not just one sponsor, but several. We do deals for various uh, private equity groups who have been invested with us over the years. Um, I bought and sold probably close to 100 ships over the past 20 years, so we've been in and out of the market, depending upon uh, where we are in the cycle, uh, the types of investors we have, and the types of deals that they want. So, uh, you know, we'll be back in, in, in probably in short order with some other, other vessels. But um, I, I, first of all, uh, we've taken up a third of the time with just introducing ourselves, so I'll cut it off there and look forward to the discussion. Thank you. 
Okay, thank you very much, uh, gentlemen. Um, <clears throat> as said, in this panel discussion, we will dig a little bit deeper into um, energy securing uh, security. We are facing um, the issue of the impact of the Ukrainian war, um, the Russian embargo uh, that, uh, that also came up uh, towards us. And um, so this also means the LNG, uh, the need of LNG, uh, the transport, uh, the reception facilities. Um, and the question is with what we have seen now with the Ukrainian war and also now what was going on in, 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 in Israel, um, uh, this will have a huge impact. And this might also change our idea of going into renewable energies. This is what I also would like to, to, to have an, an idea on because we, we still have to say that LNG is a fossil fuel. Um, Mr. Klinger, I would like to actually start a little bit with, uh, with you. You have been mentioning that the BUS Group has several divisions uh, in, in, all, uh, in all respects. Uh, um, so, of course, the, uh, we, we have seen what happened um, last winter here in, 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 in Germany or in North Europe, our, our fear of not having uh, sufficient uh, energy anymore available or, or fuels available to heat up our houses. That was almost going on at that time. Um, how do you see the energy securing in the, uh, in, in, in the future and also for all your, uh, your business? Um, Rob, I'm... Um it's an interesting market, um, I like, which is challenging, but very interesting. So, Germany changed completely, uh, the energy world in Germany changed completely over the last one and a half years since the Ukraine war. Um, um, they had to switch basically from supply from east to west, now from west to east. Um, so first, um, as, as everybody knows, they, they, um, they had been very reluctant so far to be to be to be polite uh, regarding LNG. Now they are, they love LNG. <laughs> they have to love LNG. They need to change the whole grid system to make um, to make the imports um, of LNG um, now reach German industry and also Czech and Austrian industry. Um, going forward, I think. Um, uh, for, for the next years, they definitely um, rely on LNG. But maybe one one sideline: um, what happened last year um, um, had an effect which nobody probably wanted and probably also not expect, expected. Coal was, um, I think, that we had a record amount of coal fired in Germany because Germany moved out of nuclear, uh, different from everybody else in the world. Um, and and, uh, and gas was so expensive that even despite the the CO2 um, taxes, or I may say so, uh, coal was still competitive. Um, so now we have to um, wind that back, of course. So going forward, I think um, I see good future for the next 10, 15 years for LNG. The LNG acceleration law, whether it was really an acceleration law, is another discussion. Uh, the acceleration law allows fossil fuels, fossil energy until 43. It means everybody who's looking into that is also needs to look beyond that um, and uh, think about what's coming next. Uh, in the moment, we are and everybody else is uh, very much looking into ammonia imports. Um, so 
all our the import terminals planned now needed to be ammonia ready, um, which is not that difficult actually. Um, however, the rest of the logistics chain, hydrogen logistics chain, uh, um, uh, ammonia logistics, logistics chain is still very much unclear. Uh, but we hear that from our customers, from our current LNG customers, you also, all, all of them want us, want us to, to develop into, the, um, into also being ready to import ammonia. They say there's a lot of supply in the world, not all of them took take an FID yet, so it's a lot of supply projects in the world, and also for, for reasonable prices. However, the, also the inf import, the demand side is, is not yet clear. So, um, yeah, there's a lot going on, and that makes it for us very interesting to be in this world. That's fully true. We're, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, so we're in a completely transition period. Yeah, it is. You can you can maybe also say if you if I compare it to shipping, it's a bit like. Um, going away from the sailing time into the steam engine uh, um, vessels. Uh, this is also, and that is also the transition time uh, that we have. Um, Brian, um, you have been in the cruise industry, uh, mm -hmm. been discussing that a little bit uh, yesterday. I've also, you also informed me about uh, the tanker security <laughs> program in the uh, US. You have been um, in, uh, in, involved, and now you're in the Point of the uh, the FRSUs, yeah. FSRU. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I needed a year. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the question is: Will will LNG be the fuel still for the future? Will that be a fuel that will secure our uh, <coughs> energy needs? Uh, um, I know um, you don't have the glass bowl. <laughs> That's a fact. Well, it, really, uh, pragmatically, it seems like it, it will be for the foreseeable future. Um, I mean, I think, you know, there's concern over the emissions, and that's why there's discussion around these future fuels. But um, from, a, from a pragmatic standpoint, LNG is, is the most efficient and clean fuel that we have right now that can be deployed at scale. And so we certainly think that it'll be around for, for quite a while. Um, I think the, the EU energy minister was on record in the, the Financial Times. She was quoted as saying that the, the EU will need American gas for decades. And, and so I think that clearly for the, for the next few decades, there will be a place for LNG. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> um, Daniel, um, Hug is a big player in the LNG market. Yeah, it is, it is it's your, uh, your part as well. Uh, um, what is your view on, 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 on LNG and, and, and the import on LNG for, uh, for the future? Eh? It's, it's, we're talking about shipping part, uh, though you're not coming from the shipping, but it's also uh, and shipping and also the industry ashore. I think... Um to answer this question more precisely, I think you have to look at where you're, which geography you're actually looking at. <coughs> I think uh, generally um, what we're struggling with with renewable energy is that it has a very low energy density and you cannot store it, at least not with current technology. That means uh, in all of our systems and value chains there is a need for molecules because molecules have the capability of having high energy content relatively and you can store them. 
um, and currently LNG uh, is number one available um, and number two with a very uncertain future because nobody knows what's happening geopolitically over in the long run it is quite flexible so I mean that that that's the possible you you cannot and you would not at the moment invest I think heavily in uh, a lot of onshore infrastructure with very uncertain demand just as much as you need so I think in a sense in essence what uh, Brian said I think there is a place for LNG uh, at least I would say, depending on where you look for 20, 30 or 30 years. But then if you look at the regions, we we'll probably see some different developments depending on whether you're in Europe or whether you're in Asia and how people are trying to start uh, changing that into something else. But ultimately, I think uh, it is, uh, it's a very exciting time because nobody knows what's, what the world will look like in 10 or 15 years. And I think uh, if you had asked somebody in Germany 10 years ago what the role of LNG in Germany will be 10 years from now, nobody would have said what we see today. Uh, and the same is true before shale gas was discovered in the US. So I think we're at this point where there's a lot of <coughs> pressures on these developments and a lot of things can happen. Um, but uh, just want to reiterate, and there's a parallel where I think shipping and energy uh, comes together. Anything that you want to enable in terms of new value chain requires, as, as it was earlier with big gas and oil fields, that people cooperate along the value chain from basically source to sink to get something going. And that's, I think, what we're all working towards and where we need to get projects off the ground, otherwise we won't get anywhere. So that will, uh, thanks, uh, Daniel. So that means a little bit also uh, looking that LNG will remain our main fuel for the mid-long term. Yeah, um. That was a question, what's long-term? <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, we can't look uh, beyond a, a particular date, so um, yeah, that is uh, definitely uh, an effect. Um, Robert, uh, you're, uh, you've been involved in, 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 in tankers, what I understood, uh, um, in, in, in crude oil tankers, mm -hmm. and, and well, product tankers. In, My kids in hate that, me. In that way, yeah. And um, of course, we had uh, a lot of Russian oil coming into uh, into Europe, um, and and the uh, Russian oil transported. Um, has that had any impact on your business? Yeah, because we're we're talking about the energy securing part, yeah. and and of course uh, the Russian oil had a huge impact on, on Europe uh, um, in, in, in that respect. Yeah. And, and what have you seen and have faced upon that? Yeah, I'll, I'll answer your question in one sec, but I just wanted to make a, a comment about some of the uh, comments already heard today. Um, everyone talks about uh, what we want in this room or the governments, and we want green energy. Um, and there's a difference. My native language is English, and I know that so it's easy for me to parse between need and want. And what I say is, um, you know, we want green energy, but do we need it right now? I mean, today, like this afternoon. And I tell my kids, you know, there's a difference between need and want, because they, they want everything. And they say, I said, no, no, no. Your mother wants a mink coat, you know, the mink, the little furry guy. I said, but the mink, he needs it. And that's the difference. Your mother doesn't need it. She wants it. And when you look at Germany the past few years, all of, all, all of Europe, um, everybody wanted green energy. But when push came to shove, he just wanted energy. So when the gas got shut off, 
there was suddenly a lot of solutions that weren't optimal for the, you know, for the green movement, but you got what you needed and it happened fast. And when I look at where I live, there's a protest going on in my town over a seven mile transmission line that's gonna cut down some trees that will make us more energy efficient. Nobody wants the trees dead, but they all want green energy. So the question is, where, where is it gonna come from? And, we, and as, as Daniel said, you know, this density is an issue. And we can't, I think it's, we've never gone from a, a, a less, a, a dense source of energy to a, to a less dense source of energy. So it, I think it's really energy addition, not energy transition. If you look at the energy stack, I mean, we haven't reached peak wood yet. Peak wood is an energy we haven't reached. It's, you know, it, it's, it's a fact, and coal. You know, if, if you ask someone on the street, when do we hit peak coal? They, oh, you know, 50 years ago. No, we're still going up. And because I think the worldwide, the human need for energy is insatiable. You know, there are like 35 million airplanes in the sky every, every year. That's a lot of airplanes. It's a lot of fuel. And as energy gets cheaper, we get more and more and more. So um, I didn't answer your question, I know. But um, <laughs> so I, the, the challenge is how do, how do we get there? And, um, you know, remember uh, the movie The Graduate with Dustin Hoffman? And uh, there's a cocktail party, and uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman is speaking to some guy who's probably my age, and he says to him, I have one word for you about the future, plastics. And, you know, I think about the energy desire, and it seems to be, um, you know, nuclear for on a larger scale. But, uh, you know, on the smaller scale, when you talk about gas, I think uh, all the things that were brought up, you know, the storing, the transportation, the infrastructure, the infrastructure, nobody wants to change anything anywhere. You know, we have this NIMBY, not in my backyard, you know, anywhere else, but not in my backyard. There's a new one in the States called Don't Banana, which is don't build anything near anything, never, anytime. <laughs> but we all want green energy. So um, I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but the Russian, the Russian situation, um, yeah, it's, you know, the, the, the market's changed and the Russian cap, the oil caps aren't working. Um, you know, we find other places to get oil, so does everybody else. It, you know, it flows from where it needs to be and, and the price adjusts. So it was a, it was a very sharp adjustment but the market fixed it, and it's continuing to fix it over time. Exactly. Well, so it appears in the U.S. the same as also in Germany, not in my back door. Right, right, right. This, uh, now you have Don't Banana. This is anywhere, this nothing. Anywhere. <laughs> so, no, 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 but that is, uh, that's also the point of saying, well, uh, we have to move away from the, um, the fossil fuels. But yeah, you have to be practical. We need to give the transition time. That is that is a, that's a fact, and I think with with uh, with what happened, uh, um, or, well, unfortunately, with the uh, with the war uh, in, uh, in in Ukraine, um, it gave us the opportunity to move <coughs> quicker away and, and, and look into renewable energies. Yeah, um, Mr. Klinger, what is your view on that? Is it is it going to be a fact that we are going to move quicker into an, a renewable energy? Uh, due to these kind of aspects that now happened? Um, <laughs> yeah, need and, um, and want. <laughs> um, New topic. <laughs> I was thinking about that, actually. I'm not undecided. Um, in, 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 in Germany, I have the impression, yeah, to some extent, yes, because... Um, now, because Germans don't like LNG, because all U.S. fracking LNG, which is bullshit, of, uh, by the way, but um, that's, that's um, to, to some extent, public opinion here. Um, and because of that, um, they say, okay, we need it for, 
needed um, and uh, for, 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 for time we don't want it <laughs> but we want in renewable which is maybe even clearer because we have to need now uh, LNG for a while so and they all our customers at least um, for LNG terminal which are big German and, um, utilities they all look beyond that and they all in, do, do heavy investments in, um, in what's going on in ammonia as I said earlier they also do a lot in the wind um, energy sector. So basically, yes, I would say um, because it makes um, it, 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 um, it's uncomfortable the situation now. We uh, Russian gas was very comfortable, um, and now we had this wake up. Uh, we need to have this um, U.S. fracking gas now for a while. Um, I'm glad they have it, um, and and um, now we. We would like to move even quicker into the, the green future um, with wind and photovoltaic and, and import some. Uh, Germany will need to import, I think, 70% of its energy in, in form of probably ammonia or other um, ways. That has been is, is, is accelerating slightly. Whether it's happening in the end, uh, whether all these projects take FID is another story. I think that's um, given the high interest in the moment, given... Uh, what's happening in energy markets, given what's happening in labor markets, um, it's not moving with the pace it should. Good. No. Thank you very much uh, on this. Ryan, I would like to uh, go a bit on the energy securing side as well. Uh, um, we see that LNG is, has been, uh, if I look into Germany, it was one of the, our main fuels um, uh, or uh, here, energy sources. Um, we have been really hit last year, I mentioned it already, last year, summer, uh, we were almost all sitting in the cold, uh, uh, freezing at home. What we're doing now again uh, um, is like also here in, in, in Europe, and I know from the Netherlands, because I'm, I'm, I'm originally Dutch, is that we are now again focusing on one country. Yeah? I don't want to mention uh, country names, but we all know that from, the, from uh, where we have issued contracts with, with particular countries which are able to provide LNG. Uh, what is your view on, on, on this, of, of focusing again on one country or only a couple of countries because of uh, the, 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 the uh, yeah. geopolitical situation? And, and, and will that be, well, because we need to secure our energy. Mm -hmm. We need to secure that we are, we're able to heat our houses and, and, and let our industry run. I mean, I think certainly what the, what the situation with Russia showed is that you don't want to be beholden to one source. I think one of the advantages that LNG offers as a fuel source is that if you have the import capabilities via a land-based terminal or via an FSRU, um, you can source from, from different regions. And the liquefaction um, output continues to grow and is projected to continue to grow. And so there's multiple sources for gas throughout the world. And, you know, aside from long-term offtake agreements that generally, you know, are, are stable, um, that gives you that flexibility um, as opposed to a pipeline situation, right? So what we see with a lot of our clients and customers is they don't always actually use the FSRU, but... To, to provide a significant portion, but it's important as a backup, and, and that's across different dimensions. So um, to your question around, you know, how does LNG fit into the transition? I mean, one of the things that's interesting about LNG as a fuel is it can be turned on much more quickly as a backup power source, right? So, um, for instance, one of our FSRUs in Brazil 
really gets very util little utilization, but it's there to back up hydroelectric power in the country, right? So you need that um, backup when you're relying on renewables that are not always reliable. Um, and so LNG can, can fill a pretty important um, role in that. Yeah, so coming a little bit to the point is yeah. LNG remains our secured fuel for uh, for the uh, for the future. Yep. Yeah, it is. And, uh, and what we see actually again with with our customers is um, to, to your point, Daniel. I mean, it's interesting. The LNG infrastructure space is is really kind of a a blend between the maritime sector and and the energy sector, right? And so when with our customers. You know, they tend to be very long-term contracts for these assets, you know, 15 plus years. And a lot of the commercial terms are not what you would normally see in the maritime space, right? So we see some customers um, in tenders that we're participating in want to have purchase options. They want to have joint venture options. And those from, from our standpoint are, are sometimes difficult to, to wrap our head around. Um, but from our customer standpoint, having um, guaranteed control of that asset is, is hugely important. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. And then, um, Daniel, um, we're, we're seeing now, uh, as Mr. Klinger just also told and, and made the announcement, or what well, kind of announcement, uh, that in, in, in Stade um, uh, a shore plant will be, uh, will be built. Um, um, what is your view? Uh, we, we had some little bit of a discussion yesterday uh, evening at the pre um, uh, conference meeting. Uh, what is your view on land base and, uh, uh, well, sea-based? Um, FSRU. FSRU. <laughs> <laughs> I will learn it by the end. I think, I think there are a number of answers to this. Uh, first one is uh, perception. I think um, in Europe and in particular in Germany, uh, Germany wasn't an LNG country until last year. Everything is new. Nobody is used to it. It's very different than, for example, Spain that has been doing LNG for decades. Uh, and that means when FSIU were deployed and everything was done very quickly, by the way, kudos to everybody involved there because we know also from the pipeline infrastructure people, from the people sourcing LNG. I mean, I said it to you last time, what I really admire about the energy industry is in times of uh, security crisis, everybody cooperates and people ask about writing invoices afterwards. That's really remarkable. But what I wanted to say is the FSRUs came in a time of absolute emergency perception. And that is that in Germany, I think other than, for example, in South America or in Asia, it's a bit like, oh, well, it's the white knight that comes when there's a problem. And then maybe later it can go away again, which is in the acceleration law. Uh, if you look at it from an asset perspective, I would say, look at the asset, look at the capabilities, and look at the cost. And uh, I think in general, in the world, uh, an FSU and a land-based terminal have both its characteristics. One, some different economics. Uh, some can be built faster. Some has more flexibility. So I would say, uh, from our perspective, as we have other contracts where the asset is 25 to 30 years on one site, uh, it is one long-term option, just as a land-based terminal is. What I say for Germany, coming from the energy side, there is so much uncertainty, and I know the government is very concerned that nobody knows how gas demand will develop, how fast will we actually be able to, you know, possibly face down or out gas. And probably it will need longer, as we already sensed here, than, than we think or some people want 
uh, or and think we need. <laughs> um, uh, but but the issue is, um, if if that's your perception, you know, of course I would say that from that. But I would say the FSAO gives you the flexibility. You have it as long as you need it. Maybe you can use it for other things. But this if you don't need it anymore, you can, of course, that's the inherent flexibility. You can move it. Uh, and I think that's that's one of the differences. But in general, I think. We see a lot of gas demand, and we will see the need, in my view, of both the FSUs and the land-based terminals for quite some time to come. Okay, thank you. Uh, <coughs> Robert, um, of course, um, you're having, you, you've been in the business of the oil tankers, uh, and, and, and we have seen the, the, the oil streams uh, um, going back and forward. They changed, of course, um, somewhat. Um, we will have, we will definitely see also new kind of type tankers coming into the market, eh? or, or, or well, the existing tanker fleet for particular fuels are too sh too small. Eh? So we need to to go into a different um, way. Um, do you see that we are able to to to, to cope uh, with our needs when it comes to uh, um, energy securing? As far as tankers, with the fleets. tankers, yeah, I mean, with the tankers. I have a slightly, this may shock you, a slightly different view of the tanker fleet than some people. Um, gas is a great fuel, and, and the challenge on the challenge on the, on the tanker side is there are hundreds of ports, and we don't know where we're going to go. So it's hard, and they all are not going to have uh, bunkering facilities if we all go gas in the short run. So the decision to go gas is huge. You know, on the, on the, on the container side and a lot of other sectors, car carriers, it's point to point. So it's, it's fairly easy. Um, we can build our ships, you know, ammonia ready. But I heard someone say one time that their driveway is Ferrari ready. It's, um, it, it doesn't really mean much. So, so what are we going to do? And who's going to make a huge investment in a fuel source that we don't know what it's going to be and have an asset for 25 years? So the default mechanism is to delay the decision. Um, uh, tankers supposedly last for 20 years, and there's a huge bubble of ships coming 15, 16, 17 years <coughs> in the short run. So we took a look at um, older tankers and what the energy is to build a new Suez Max tanker, which carries a million barrels, for those of you who are not in the tanker business. And it takes about 95,000 um, tons of CO2 output emissions to build one Suez Max tanker, and they burn like 25,000 tons a year. So unless you have a step change in fuel efficiency, whether it's gas or some other form, it makes sense to have those assets last as long as possible because the incremental increase for a new tanker versus a 15-year-old tanker, you can say is 10%, 20%. It's not a step change. So it's, it's sort of insane to melt all down 20-year-old ships and build new ones. It's sort of the lazy way to say, you're, you know, I'm ESG friendly. You're not ESG friendly. You're doing something that doesn't make sense. Um, other assets such as airplanes last 30 years. I mean, I mean, who flew here? Who's been on a plane the past few weeks? Okay. And who asked them how old the plane was before they put their family on there and strapped them to a seat and blew them across the ocean at 500 miles an hour? You know, not many people. So, you know, my view about the energy is we should use the assets we have and take care of them. I mean, the, the problem is we, we manage them as owners towards a 20-year scrapping life. We don't manage them towards 25 or 30, which they, they can last. So um, I think the decision to build new propulsion on tankers is going to take some time until the more um, predictable voyages, such as container ships and car carriers and, and all the rest of the um, world fleet, you know, finds out you know, what the fuel should be and will probably follow in good course. So it means, yeah, we really have to 
well, invest that in new kind of type tankers to, to secure our energy. Yeah, but the, the whole forms haven't changed very much, and they probably won't. And you know, the, like I said, the fuel source has to be predictable for a spot market. Where the and uh, you know the the energy needs are always changing, and the sources are always changing. So we're going to have and and the traders move the oil all over the world. So we don't know where we're going to go. So we have to be able to load the ship bunker and understand that where the ship is going to discharge to be another bunkering port. And that doesn't work in a spot market yeah. in such a diversified world. Can just, Daniel, can I just add? Yeah, yeah please, go, I mean, please feel free. We're, we're talking about energy security here. And I think one thing that hasn't been mentioned at all, which is almost like the white elephant in the room, is security of the assets. Because I, I know from personal experience and talking to the German government and other you know, relevant parties with critical infrastructure, there's a lot of concern now with the sort of security level that we have overall everywhere in the world, how vulnerable are our assets. Because, you know, we all seen and still remember the picture of the bubbling Baltic Sea. Um, uh, just to be very frank, if something like that happened to a Norwegian pipeline, we'll screw it. There is no alternative in the world that will supply this amount. By the way, you said LNG is an important source, but the biggest source of energy in Germany now is Norway. Yeah, yeah and, and they supply three to three pipelines, and of course there's a big concern. If anything should happen to these pipelines, we don't have any chance Maybe to react. Chinese vessel was an anchor, was a loose anchor. Yeah, regardless of what, but I'm just saying, also we've been getting the questions for the FSIUs. How, what can you do to make them safe so that they cannot be easily targets from the seaside yeah, and so on and so on. So it's very important going forward when you talk energy security that everything we do is not only safe from an operational point of view, but also secured to the secured. best extent possible. Yeah. No, you're fully right. Thank you very much for that uh, uh, comment. And um, I see on the clock we're almost uh, through with the uh, with the 40 minutes. So I would say thank you for uh, for that comment. It, it is uh, we can definitely talk much longer about this energy securing and what kind of uh, future uh, fuel we will have and. Uh, moving towards renewable uh, energy, which we all know um, we need to do that. And how it's going to happen, we don't know. It's, it's still a little bit of an uncertain period. So I would like to thank you very much, all uh, four of you, for joining up on this, uh, this panel and um, providing us with your, uh, your input. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you.